Howdy. Welcome to CCC Hardcore, the best place on the internet for stories about the California Conservation Corps. You think this generation has gone soft? Well, guess again. The CCC proves that wrong every day. Howdy. Welcome back to CCC Hardcore. I'm your host, George Parker, former backcountry corner, donor, crew leader, and Delta C1. Uh, I've got some new stuff lined up for you today. Uh, first thing up will be a story on one of the very first centers that the Seas opened uh, back in the 70s, Tama Fire Center, uh, located outside Red Bluff, California. And after that, got a couple more 2018 backcountry interviews. And I'm hoping to finish those up before the 2019 backcountry trails debriefing coming up here. Um, <laughs> been way too long getting these 2018 interviews up, uh, but sometimes that's just the way it goes. So without further ado, let's hear about Tehama Fire Center. The California Conservation Corps started in 1976 with a lot of enthusiasm and high ideals, but nobody really knew how long it would be around. It wasn't even a permanent program in 1976. Funding had to be renewed every year by the California legislature. It was started on a shoestring budget. Equipment was transferred from the Ecology Corps, which the CCC had replaced. The CCC lived in borrowed facilities. Centers that were residential programs moved into underutilized state buildings that could accommodate the housing and kitchen and workshop and administrative program needs. Several of them set up on state hospital grounds in places such as Stockton, Camarillo, and Santa Clara. Some of them set up in unused Army personnel housing on obsolete Nike missile bases, uh, such as Bollinger Canyon, uh, which is outside of San Ramon or near San Francisco, and uh, another one was at Oat Mountain outside of Chatsworth near L.A. The CCC also formed a partnership with the California Department of Forestry, uh, commonly known as CDF back then. Uh, it's called CAL FIRE now. Several centers were set up that were known as fire centers. The crews from these centers were all corners from the CCC. Uh, the centers were administered by the CCC, but the crews were led by CDF captains instead of conservationist ones or crew supervisors with the seas. For the most part, these centers moved onto already existing CDF facilities that had already been operating Department of Corrections inmate fire crews. The inmates moved out, the CCC moved in, some of the fire centers were outside of Megillia, Angels Camp, Klamath, and uh, Weot. And those were the Butte, Calaveras, and Del Norton Humboldt fire centers. And so today we're talking about the Tehama Fire Center. And I had a chance to speak with three former Corps members who were gracious enough to share their CCC memories of Tehama. Karen Brown-Wilson, Penelope Johnstone, and John Leonard. Karen, Penelope, and John were all at Tehama around the same time, about the time that it closed in 1981. Tehama Fire Center was located outside the tiny town of Paynes Creek, about 25 miles east of Red Bluff. It was adjacent to the Tehama Wildlife Area, a wide open space in the rolling foothills of Lassen Peak. The area has cool, wet winters and notoriously hot, dry summers. Summer temperatures can typically top 110 degrees. A person could have found their way into the CCC and Tehama Fire Center by all sorts of routes. Karen Wilson-Brown joined the Seas in the summer of 1980 from San Diego after seeing a recruiting advertisement in her high school newspaper. The ad said something to the effect of, want adventure? Work outdoors and earn $500. Uh, 
Uh, so Karen took him up on that. She joined after high school and went to the Bret Hart Academy. And she was randomly assigned to Tehama after uh, she, she finished her basic training at the academy. Penelope Johnstone was staying at a youth hostel in Sacramento in the early summer of 1981 and needed a job. A CCC recruiter came to the hostel and hired many of the people there who needed jobs. Half of these people, including Penelope, were sent to the academy at Bret Hart, while half were sent directly to centers that needed people immediately. John Leonard was attending Sacramento City College in the spring of 1981 and decided that he wanted to be a firefighter. He joined the Seas and was sent directly to Tehama Fire Center without going to the academy first. Since Tehama's primary purpose was firefighting, every one of the crews at the center was a CDF certified hand crew. Their job was going to be digging fire line with hand tools like shovels, Pulaski's, and McLeod's through any sort of terrain. Training typically consisted of 16 hours of fire training at the Bret Hart Academy that was included in the basic training program there and supplemented with another 16 hours upon arrival to Tehama. Quarters at Tehama were proud that they could roll out on any fire within 10 minutes of receiving a call. Uh, Penelope got a little surprised during fire training. Uh, the yellow firefighter suits... Um, were made out of a special flame retardant material called Nomex. Well, it turned out that Penelope was allergic to Nomex. Uh, so her firefighting days were over before they even started, and she got reassigned to the kitchen. Depending on how many corner members were assigned to Hema, the center housed from two to four crews of around 12 to 15 people per crew. There were dorm, kitchen, and laundry facilities. A cook staff cooked breakfast and dinner for the corners. Every weekday morning, sack lunch fixings were put up for corners to build their own lunches to take to work. A typical day at Tehama started like many others in the seas, early morning PT, breakfast, and roll out to work. When not fighting fires, crews worked on all sorts of forestry-related projects in Shasta and Tehama counties. Uh, they climbed tall pine trees to collect cones for seeds in Lassen National Forest and the Latour Demonstration Forest. They cleared fire breaks and thinned underbrush in forests to reduce fire hazard. These types of projects gave the corners plenty of experience on the chainsaws that they would need to clear fire line. Uh, they also worked uh, stream clearance projects and uh, a few other environmental, uh, environmental type projects. Uh, Tehama crews were sent in response to the Mediterranean fruit fly emergency in 1981. They had to strip infected fruit from the trees and dispose of it. They were away from the center for two weeks on that emergency response. The first crew vehicles at Tehama were old school buses that came from the Ecology Corps. They were painted dark forest green and at first still had Ecology Corps stenciled in white on the sides. Ecology Corps was eventually replaced with Tehama Fire Center. Uh, the old school buses were eventually replaced replaced with CDF-style crew-carrying vehicles, or CCVs. These vehicles were specifically designed to carry firefighting crews. The first CCVs were also dark forest green. Corners who did not have a high school diploma were required to take GED classes in the evenings. Corners who did have diplomas were pretty much on their own after work hours. Uh, the corner development programs that were later to become a key part of the C's program had not been developed yet. Uh, sometimes an intern from a state university like Chico would come out and try to establish some sort of recreation program, but the programs never lasted long and they had limited success. Corners were sometimes able to earn college credits for some of the work activities they did. For instance, Karen earned one credit for getting certified with a chainsaw. The Tehama grounds uh, were kept well manicured like a park. The grass was always cut, grass along the sidewalks were always kept edged, the trees were always kept pruned. Uh, Tehama Corners took real pride in their center. Uh, 
without much structure during off-duty hours and being energetic young adults 25 miles from town and transportation to town sometimes being an issue, coroners tended to do what unsupervised young people did back in the 1970s. One former coroner I spoke with said, do you remember the movie MASH? Uh, the movie, not the TV show. Well, it was just like that. And that's all we'll say about that. Well, almost all. I think uh, coroner's experiences with that sort of extracurricular activity probably depended upon the person. Some core members that were at Del Norte with me in 1986 have memories of some pretty wild stuff. I don't because I was more likely to be reading books or hiking on the coaster trail than going to parties. And I think the same can be said for every generation of core member. Some will have wild stories, others won't. And all good things come to an end and the CCC ended its program at the Tama Fire Center in 1981. Karen spent the summer of 1981 in the Backcountry Trails program on the Kings Canyon crew. When she returned after the season in October, the Tama Fire Center was one month away from closing. She helped close the center and then helped to transfer the academy from the Bret Hart location where she went attended to the Freeco City uh, location it would occupy for five years. And Karen finished her time in the seas at the Calaveras Fire Center. After the CCC, Karen joined the Air Force as a journalist. Penelope was working towards her cook specialist green hat when the center closed. She transferred to the solar center at Greenwood, where she earned her green hat. Penelope went on to a great career cooking with the CCC. She was a cook C1 at the Freeco City Academy when I went through in late summer 1986. She had fed hundreds of corners over the years on fire and flood emergencies. John worked his summer fires. When Tehama closed, he transferred to Butte Fire Center in Megalia. He remembers Butte as being a lot more structured than Tehama had been. And he followed his season of fire with a summer on a backcountry trail crew in Yosemite the following year. After the seas, John finished his forestry degree and then served a term with the Peace Corps in Ecuador. And then he began a long career with the U.S. Forest Service. I actually uh, spoke to Karen, Penelope, and John a few years ago about their time at Tehama. So my apologies to them for taking entirely too long with this story. In my defense, every time I felt that it was ready, I'd learn something new about Tehama or get pictures or think of new questions that I felt that I needed to get answered first. And I finally just said, okay, this is it. Let's post what I have and go from there. Um, so if you're reading this blog or if you're listening to this podcast and you are ever associated with the CCC at Tehama Fire Center, I want to hear your story. I would love to follow up with more stories. And you can contact me via email at george at ccchardcore.com by telephone at 530-410-4683, or you can send me a Facebook message through CCC Hardcore. I would also like to thank Gillian McCollum, Joe Hawkins, and John Martinez for contributing to this story. So that was the basic story of the Tame Fire Center, and I'd like to do more stories like that in the future. Uh, talking about individual centers, uh, some of them are still there, some are not, some are closed, about special programs, about backcountry trails, firefighting, flood fighting, um, all that sort of thing. So if you have stories that you want to share about any whatever center that you were at, whatever program that you were doing, whatever projects, works that you did, go ahead and give me a, give me a call, give me a contact. I had the contact information there, and it will also be in the show notes. And I'll repeat it one more time for the end of the program. I would like to take a second to 
uh, remind everybody that the views expressed on this podcast represent those of the hosts at the host and the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the California Conservation Corps or its sponsors. Uh, one more thing I'd like to say before we get to those two backcountry interviews is that if you got to this podcast uh, by subscribing to the podcast through Podbean or uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you're going to want to go back over to uh, the CCC Hardcore blog um, because I've got pictures that went along with this story. Uh, you can't see the pictures on a podcast, so go, go on over to the blog to check out the pictures. And in fact, if you follow that blog, then you're never going to miss a thing on CCC Hardcore. Uh, the podcast is only part of the entire program that I've got for CCC Hardcore. Um, so every podcast is eventually is going to be linked to the blog, but there's going to be stuff on the blog that you can't see in a podcast, uh, stories that are written, pictures, things like that. Um, so head on over to the blog at ccchardcore.com and subscribe there. You can you can follow there. There's a link at the bottom of the page there where you can click that to follow, and you will never miss a thing about CCC Hardcore. And uh, with that said, let's get on with some backcountry interviews. Okay, and your name is? Christian Martinez. Okay. And the, you're on which crew? I was on the Trinity Alps Trapper. Okay. And what did you do before backcountry? Uh, I was working for the cities. I was a Red Hat. Where at? Um, Pomona Center. Okay. How long were you in the seas? So I was coming up on two years. Um, I applied for the backcountry program, and my last day would have been May 9th. So I was in the backcountry while... Like my time outdate, so that gave mm -hmm. me more time. Okay. And now I have until December thirty first. All right. Cool. So what did you do before the seas? Uh, before the seas, I worked for a local corps. I worked for the San Gabriel Valley Conservation Corps. For which one? San Gabriel Valley Conservation. Corps. Okay. Yeah, I was there for two years. I was there for a year and a half. I left. I went to go work at a warehouse. Okay. I didn't like it there. All right. I what kind of work it. do you do with that corps? Uh, pretty much sort of the same. Like it's a lot more urban. Mm -hmm. So like we'd be with regional parks. We'd do. Um, we did like a little bit of trail maintenance for the Angeles National Forest. Okay. I uh, did a lot of trash pickup for them. Um, <clears throat> we did uh, urban conservation, which was like recycling. We go to different businesses, pick up recyclables, mm -hmm. sort them out, go to the recycling plant, and um, okay. catch them. So, what kind of projects did you do at? Is it Pomona? Pomona, yeah. Pomona. What kind of projects did you do there? Uh, we. I was part of a. So the, when I joined, it was a lot of. Uh, little projects like around the area one of them was like this small fuel reduction project that we did in uh, in the area of El Monte and right before you got onto the I think it's Highway 9 I believe in the Angeles National Forest okay and then then it was fires for three months and then I got sent out to Louisiana oh. uh, I was there for a month oh wow doing mucking and gutting and then after then the new New Year came around, and from January all the way to July, we, we did a trail spike okay. in San Diego off okay. of Pines. All right. Um, so what made you want to do the backcountry? Uh, stories, really. Yeah. Uh, I, when I was with the San Gabriel Valley Conservation Corps, um, my cousin was a supervisor there, and uh, when he joined, when he was a corps member there, uh, they were spiking in the Angeles National Forest. And they were like, what the seas call coyote spikes, mm -hmm. is that they went up there, they were eating MREs. They went from Monday to Friday spiked. They'd just eat MREs, they'd bathe in the creek, they would uh, 
they were doing trail work mm-hmm. and then um, he just like him talking about those stories of him being out there like they got rained out it like rained really heavily on them so they had to like hike themselves out mm-hmm. in the middle of the night wow and then um, yeah I like it, it trip after that trail work like caught my interest mm-hmm. and then uh, one of my buddies left to from that core one of my buddies left to go join the seas and then he came back to visit one day mm-hmm. he's like yeah I'm doing this thing called backcountry and then the next week some representatives from AmeriCorps came and they gave a presentation on the backcountry program okay and uh, so I found out about backcountry when I was 18 and I'm 22 now okay so like it's it's been four years and it's been a long time coming alright so you've been looking forward to it yeah, for four years definitely right on um, so where did you work? Where were you at in the Trinity Alps? We were in the Union Creek area. Mm-hmm. Um, we were there for our front country crap was off of Coffee Creek Road, and uh, we maintained. I want to say most of the trails off of that road. Um, and then when the back, then we, when our backcountry move came around, we were in the Union Creek area. By um, we were right in front of the Battle Canyon Junction. We were there for, I want to say, two and a half months. And then from there, we did a couple spikes out of there. We did a spike in um, the East Boulder area, okay. like close to the Klamath. We, we spiked and did work on the PCT. Mm-hmm. And then we did a spike to, after that, we moved to Hobo Gulch. We moved our camps and we ended in the front country camp in Hobo Gulch. Uh-huh. And then we spiked we did a spike up to Papoose Lake and we did a spike to Grizzly Lake okay what's that country like over there uh it's beautiful like the the views um just like you see you know conifers everywhere mm-hmm. the lakes are those alpine lakes are beautiful they're mm-hmm. some of the clearest waters I've ever seen okay is it a, just a, like a nice stroll in the woods <laughs> the um so before I left to the Trinity Alps um my a former C1 he just told me he's like oh so you're going to the even going to the uh, Trinity Alps is like it's called the Alps for a reason, <laughs> and it's uh, the, the trails are pretty intense. Uh-huh. It's like a lot of a uh, steep incline. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them was like a 2,000 elevation gain within like two and a half miles. Wow! So I was like, I was pretty challenging. Yeah. What was your biggest challenge back there? Um, I want to say my biggest challenge was just like missing home. Um, I had a dog that ran away while I was out there. Oh no! So that was like that was on my mind for like a couple weeks, but. I got over it, and um, really, other than that, it was just maybe like the hike, hiking, the spiking, mm-hmm. the spiking with like a big pack, doing like yeah. five, ten miles. It was, it was, uh, that was probably one of the biggest challenges. Okay. So where do you go from here? Uh, from here, well, the ideal thing would, I want to like get out of here and go pursue trail work. Um, I caught like a love for it, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to, I want to acquire more like skills. I want to go to statewide and uh, learn as much as I can from them. Mm-hmm. But my eventual, like the eventual goal, is to go back to school. Um, I do want to be a C1. Um, C1 isn't in back in my head. I'm thinking about being a C1. I do mm-hmm. like mentoring people. Like I grew up without a dad, and yeah. there's a lot of people that like kind of need that in their lives, and mm-hmm. that's something that like I would love to give, like, give back to my community and All right. where I'm from. Cool. Any words of wisdom for anybody thinking about joining the program? When I heard about this program, I thought it was like impossible. Like, I don't think I could do like live out in the woods for five months. Uh, I didn't think I'd be able to do that. But uh, um, you know, it's completely possible. 
you know, mind over matter. You know, they're going to be really hard days out here. Yeah. You're going to struggle a lot, but uh, just like keep pushing through it. One of the <clears throat> things my one of our sponsors or one of our Packers told us, they really like stuck with me was um, he, so he told us not to not to sweat the petty shit pet the sweaty shit mm-hmm. and uh, that's like pretty much don't worry about the little things you know there's work out here to be done focus on the work and um, you know your life will be out there when you come back you know okay right on anything else you'd like to say anybody that's thinking of doing this program um, I like encourage you to get out of your comfort zone and uh I wasn't really a big hiker when I came into this. When like I came into the program, I didn't know anything about backpacking. Um, I didn't know anything about gear. And uh, within the like two weeks, when I found out I was coming into this program, I like did a lot of research. I like looked up gear and I looked up like the area that I was going to be in. And I talked to former core members or core member, former backcountry alumni, and like I gathered information from there. And uh, it was like really intimidating coming in here, but like once you're in, it's it's not as bad as it seems. Right on. Well, thanks for chatting. That was Christian Martinez with the 2018 Trinity Crew. And Christian said something at the end there that I think is pretty important to, to understand and to keep in mind if the backcountry program sounds like something that you might want to do. He said that before he joined the backcountry program that he, he had not been a big hiker. Um, he knew nothing about backpacking. He knew nothing about uh, some big parts of the backcountry program, and you don't have to you don't have to be a mountain man type to join the backcountry program. A lot of people come to it uh, with a wide variety of experiences that they're going to bring to the table that are going to contribute to the crew. Um, a guy that I interviewed a couple of years ago uh, was from New York City, and he had been a group counselor in the city, and so he was experienced in leading group discussions and knowing group dynamics and things like that. And he was surprised that he got picked because he'd never done any backpacking or anything. But do you think that somebody that can that can facilitate group communication would have valuable tools that they're going to bring to a 15, 17-member crew who is going to be together for five months, day in, day out? Do you think that it would be a valuable tool to help people learn how to communicate with each other in those sort of conditions. Uh, that's a great tool. And the backcountry staff are great at finding different pieces to assemble these crews um, where they're going to help each other grow. They're going to help each other to learn. Um, you know, and, and in fact, when, when I applied for the backcountry program back in 1986, I was not athlete. I, I didn't think that I was strong and fast. And I knew that that was going to be the biggest challenge that I had. Um, but when the crew selections were posted and I saw that I had been uh, a first pick for the Yosemite 2 backcountry, backcountry uh, crew, I was stoked and intimidated. And there was one guy at my center who was very physically fit. Uh, he was an athlete. Um, and he, he was picked as an alternate. He was, not, he was not a first stringer. And people asked him if that bothered him much, that he, what, that, uh, he was second string kind of. And he said, oh, no, there's going to be a slot open up pretty soon. I mean, you don't think Parker's going to last more than two weeks, do you? And on on one hand, I have to say, you know, it was probably a pretty accurate assessment of where my physical skills were. You know, you might look at how much I was struggling on the grade just with regular day-to-day work in the seas, let alone uh, adding altitude and the rock work of the backcountry. But um, 
I took that and I used that as some motivation to make sure that I was going to I was going to see it through. <laughs> Um, so even if you're not in what you would think is backcountry shape, if the program sounds like it would be of interest to you, go ahead and apply anyway. Uh, let them tell you no. Um, and you might be surprised. You might find yourself on a backcountry trail crew in uh, 2020. And we'll go on with the next interview. Like normal questions you run through? Yeah. So what's your name? Sam Fish. Sam Fish. Yeah. And you were on what crew? Yosemite 2. Yosemite 2. Yosemite 2. Yos Dos. Yos Dos. What did you do before this? Oh, uh, before this, I was a student um, at San Jose State University. I studied animation illustration, and then I went traveling, and then I just kind of was uh, coasting, I guess, trying to figure out what to do next. Mm -hmm. um, did that for about a year, um, and was doing odd jobs. I got a job painting houses. Was doing some uh, some like garden work, um, and just different things. And um, and I found out about this opportunity. Um, and you know, kind of impulsively decided to commit. All right. How, um, how did you find out about it? Online, you know, and I couldn't tell you. Okay. Um, I don't remember what exactly <laughs> led me to it. I just remember being on the backcountry page mm -hmm. and um, and looking it up and reading the gear list. And yeah. These things. Um, what did you think when you first read the gear list? I mean, it's like. Um, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a neurotic, uh -huh. anxious person. Mm -hmm. And so um, yeah, that was really like my big focus was like, okay, what do I need to like, like, you know, what things do I need to bring with me to prepare me? And mm -hmm. I had invested in some backpacking gear when I went traveling overseas. Um, and so I had a good bit of it, but it was kind of like, I guess in a way trying to deduce the experience from the gear list, if that makes sense. Because mm -hmm. there really isn't that much information on the backcountry page about like what you'll actually be doing. Mm -hmm. um, I was expecting to be almost on like a spike schedule of like moving camps mm -hmm. like every week or every two weeks. I thought camp move would be that frequent. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. I mean, we only moved camp once. Mm -hmm. um, I know other crews are different, um, but still, so I was, you know, really fixated on the gear because I'd be carrying all of it. I didn't realize that I'd be like, it was kind of more like a one or, or you know, a couple time yeah. type deal. So where were you at in Yosemite? Um, I was in Tilt Hill Valley um, for most of it. Okay. Yeah, we were in Hetch Hetchy. So the north side. Mm -hmm. um, and just exploring that region, we worked, um, the trails we worked, we worked all around the reservoir, basically. Um, cleared the trail out to Tiltil. The Tiltil Trail, so from Rancheria um, up to, from Rancheria up to Tiltil Valley was by far the worst chunk um, that needed both maintenance and then that's where we had our rock projects as well. Okay. Yeah. Right on. Uh, what challenges did you have during the season? You know, there's the obvious physical ones, mm -hmm. which I was a lot more mentally ready for. Um, I, you know, always was able to kind of find a sense of satisfaction from kind of throwing myself either into the work or into like hiking hard and fast with a lot of weight. Um, but the real challenge, you know, is spinning is the social aspect. I'm mm -hmm. sure there's lots of people to talk about, um, <laughs> and yourself you might've experienced. Um, that's the real challenge of backcountry is, you know, to live and work and be constantly around um, either 12 or 17 other people mm -hmm. um, and that was hard it was really hard for me I um, am at a point in my life where in the past couple of years I've been really figuring out you know what I need for myself you know what uh, affects my energetics both positively and negatively and what those triggers are and you know what I should do about them mm -hmm. and so here I was put in a situation where there's a lot of restrictions it's very 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 structured um, and um, you know there's just this kind of constant 
um, presence of other people, which yeah. can be uh, it can be really frustrating. Um, yeah. But it can also be rewarding. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a uh, we had a guest speaker who was a friend of our cook who came through, and she was talking about nonviolent communication. And she said something that was unrelated to that topic, but near the end of her speech about how. You know, she sees us getting along well, and she thinks that we're really going to fall in love with each other. And, you know, in that, in that vein, I think that there's something to be said about commitment um, and just kind of... I, I'd say I really learned something about, you know, just learning to accept and live with the flaws of other people. And, and being able to quiet my mind and just accept other people for who they are. You know, which I, yeah. is something I thought I was good at, yeah. but I really wasn't. <laughs> right on. And you learn how to really do it back there. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Um, you know, and it just, it's... So what some, uh, some of the country that you covered, what are some of the you know, favorite hikes that you did or places that you went to visit? Um, <clears throat> there were, there was a number of them. Tiltil is a little unfortunate in the sense that to get anywhere you have to go up. You have to go up pretty far. Um... And so I found myself every Friday trudging up the same set of super steep switchbacks. Um, but I'd have to say that my favorite spot I went to uh, was Tower Peak, um, which is up on the far north side of the park. Um, it's, uh, it's, I think, around 12,000 feet. And it, um, a lot of peaks, you know, they have different shapes. you got your kind of more domed-shaped peaks. You've got ones that kind of rise into a pyramid. And Tower, it slopes up, but then the very tip-top is just straight up. This is just jacks right up. Um, and so climbing up there and then like looking out over the edge and just seeing the world like drop away before my feet and looking out over the sea of mountaintops, it was really breathtaking. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So where do you go from here? That's a good question. <laughs> uh, something I've been asking myself all season. Uh-huh. Um, I, you know... When I came into this, um, I thought within three to six months after this experience, I'd have sold most of my possessions and be living off of my motorcycle headed south through Central and South America. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't anticipate this program would be a platform on which to get other work. Um, and so now I think I'm going to try for fire, you know, try and become a, uh, hopefully, ideally, uh, get onto a saw team on a hotshot crew, mm-hmm. uh, preferably working for Forest Service, um, and see how I like that. Um, and but certainly, you know, just doing seasonal work. You know, either way, whether it's trails or fire, or um, I've got I've got it in my head that I could maybe become a helicopter pilot for right. a service. We'll see. Yeah. Um, but definitely travel as well. You know, that's what I really became infatuated with right after college, and that's certainly where I want to go yeah. um, for an extended period of time, not just like you know a month here or two months there. Like I'm mm-hmm. looking to travel for you know, a year or two. Okay. Um, but. Uh, seasonal work allows me to do that. Yeah. So if I just work during the se- season and travel during the off season, or even work and then travel for two seasons, this yeah. fire can pay well enough to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's what's in my next probably three to five years. Right on. Cool. Yeah. Um, any words of wisdom for anybody who might be thinking about the program? You know, a little survey over there asked that too, and oh, I really? was like, you know, I I gotta think on it probably some more. Okay. Like I've got. I'll be around for a couple of days. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> let, let me because like it's. It's along the lines of just accepting where you like the situation you're in, but there's more to it than that. Mm-hmm. And so I gotta, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll have to come back to you for that. All right. That was Sam Fish with the 2018 Yosemite Two Crew, and Sam said a couple of things t- toward the end on that I wanted to 
uh, expand on a little bit. He talked about they had a, a guest speaker in their camp. And when you're on a backcountry crew, you're going to get guests to your camp. <laughs> Some of them are going to be official guests coming out from the CCC. Could be Sacramento headquarters staff. Uh, the backcountry staff are going to come and visit you. You're also going to get uh, other types of visitors. And one of the things that the backcountry program likes to have happen is when there's visitors in a camp, um, they, they ask you to teach something. And so uh, you're going to get visitors to camp uh, after dinner, after all the din dinner dishes are done. Uh, they're going to be teaching something. Their guest speaker taught about nonviolent communication. You could get guest speakers teaching about photography or writing. When I visited the Trinity crew a couple of years ago in their front country camp, I talked a little bit about the history of fisheries work with the CCC and how to get a job with the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. That's all part of the, the curriculum program of the seas, having get guests into camp to teach. And another thing that Sam had talked about, um, he had talked about he had learned about commitment, and he specifically said how to live with the flaws of other people. And that is one of the biggest lessons that you're going to take away from a backcountry trail season. And it's one of the hardest lessons, too, uh, because everybody's going to grow on that crew that successfully makes it through the season. Everybody's going to grow. Everybody's going to change somewhat. But there's still going to be things, certain flaws that you have that you aren't going to be able to change in the space of a season. And part of getting along on a backcountry crew is learning how to accept those things and others that aren't going to change. And that can be a very hard lesson to learn. And, uh, and I, I think we're going to be hearing more about that in a future interview from the 2018 Backcountry Debriefing. So with that, we'll be closing it out for today. I just want to remind you that we want to hear your CCC stories. Uh, wherever you were in the program, whatever you were doing in the program, you have a story that deserves to be told. There are several ways to get in touch with me with your stories. So just contact me and let me know that you're interested. We can talk. We can set something up to find the best way to tell your story. You can send me an email to george at ccchardcore.com. You can call me and leave a voicemail. Uh, my cell phone number is 530-410-4683. If you call that number, I'm pretty rural. It's probably not going to uh, ring, so you're going to have to leave a voicemail, and I will get back to you. You can contact me uh, on Facebook. Uh, send me a message through the CCC Hardcore Facebook page. That's another pretty cool place to follow, too. Um, I post a lot of links and things that I come across to the, the, the Facebook page. A page that I have that don't make it onto the podcast or the blog. And I'm thinking about starting a CCC Facebook group that goes along with the page where you can sign on to Facebook and we can talk about stories that have been on the blog or the podcast um, so that we can interact with each other some more. Haven't done that yet. Uh, that's something I have in mind for the future. As we head out, uh, the, uh, the fiddle and the guitar music that you've heard between the backcountry interviews was music that I recorded at the debriefing last year at Camp Mather. So those were corners playing instruments, uh, just like they'd been doing through the entire summer. Uh, I want to give credit for the intro music and the outro music that you're going to be hearing in just a little bit. Uh, it's a band called the Tall Pines. Uh, it's a duo. Um, I really love their music. They're their bluesy kind of sound. Um, I just want to give them a shout out. The uh, 2019 Backcountry Debriefing is going to be starting in about a week from now uh, as I'm recording this. 
so I still have way too many 2018 Backcountry debriefing interviews to play. I'm going to try to set some shows up to, to, to go out kind of fast so I can finish up the 2018 debriefing interviews before I start the 2019. And so there might be, a, hopefully there's going to be a few episodes coming out kind of quick over the next couple of weeks. Uh, another story that I'm working on is uh, this, uh, the Bollinger Canyon Fire Center. Uh, it's an interesting place. It's in the in the East Bay, kind of, uh, near San Ramon or Danville. And it was a CCC center that was at an abandoned Nike missile base. And some pretty cool stuff happened, uh, happened there. Uh, so with that, we'll be signing off for this week. And, uh, hey, Bob, don't worry about it. We got this. Oh,